You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. anticipating antics about antiques, antipodes, and antibodies. This is Good Job Brain, your quirky quiz show and offbeat trivia podcast. Today's show is episode 207, and of course, I'm your humble host, Karen, and we are your snippy, omnipresent snipes full of snippets of catnip and parsnips. I'm Colin. I'm Dana. And I'm Chris. I probably do have some catnip somewhere in my system. Can humans eat catnip? Yeah, I've, I've eaten it before. <laughs> Does anything happen? Or I mean, like its effects is not. I was rolling on the floor and eating. <laughs> but aside from that, no, not for people. Like at best, it just has like a vaguely kind of herbal sensation on your tongue. In the UK, I think in British English, they call it cat mint. Oh, how refined. Mm, sounds yeah. cute. Yeah. All right. Well, without further ado, let's jump into our first general trivia segment, Pop Quiz Hot Shot. Here I have a random trivial pursuit card. You guys all have your barnyard buzzers, blue wedge for geography. Oh, which U.S. state is the closest to the continent of Africa? Oh, U.S. state closest to the continent. Okay. That was Dana. Oh, interesting. Is it? Florida? Incorrect. I would have guessed Florida too. Uh, Colin. Is it Maine? It's Maine. Okay. Oh. Okay. That was my other guess. But then yeah. it's so it north. out just Maybe a little it's... bit more. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, that's a yeah. good, that's a good trivia question. Pink Wedge for pop culture. What's the name of Eric's vampire bard HBO steamy supernatural series, True Blood? Oh. Dana. This is in the punch bowl. Oh man. What is it called? <laughs> Uh, um, the Witcher. It's in Baton Rouge or something. <laughs> Blood bar. It's, it's a pun. Is it a, a pun? A pun. Is it a is a pun on singing vampires? Vampire related uh, physical characteristics. <laughs> Fang something. No. Yes, yeah. it is. Fangtasia. That's right. Yes, I knew it was something stupid, but I couldn't remember what. <laughs> Fantasia. 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 All right, Yellow Edge. How many minutes long was Martin Luther King Jr. stirring I Have a Dream speech at the Lincoln Memorial in 1963? Multiple choice. Oh, oh, oh. Colin just knows. You want to give me I was going to do like closest two, but no, please go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, So how many minutes long? Six, 11, or 16? Chris. Six. Incorrect. Colin. 16. 16, correct. Mm. He was the last speaker of the day and didn't take the podium until 5 p.m. Purple Wedge. In The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the White Witch lures Edmund with which sweet treat? Chris. Oh my God, I'm blanking. It's, um, it's, uh, uh, no, 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 no. It's, um, Turkish Delight. Yeah. (laughs) Which to me as a kid is disgusting. Oh, yeah. It's super gross. <laughs> There's a British show where they show what people were eating during different periods of time. And so during that war, they like didn't get to have very much sugar at all ever. So they were like super pumped to get this disgusting Anything. candy. Anything. Yeah. <laughs> Green Wedge. Which crazy illness meant that folks living in Great Britain between 1980 and 1996 couldn't donate blood in the U.S.? Can you read that again? What was that? Yeah, what was that? Which 
crazy illness meant that Uh, folks living in Great Britain between 1980 and 1996 couldn't donate blood in the U.S. I I, I think we both got it at the same time, probably. Uh, Is it it mad cow disease? Yes, mad cow disease. It says here, eating UK beef put you at risk, Mm -hmm. but even vegetarians were banned. They didn't let vegetarians like vegetarians couldn't donate blood. I think, well, I think it's because a lot of it is just like, you know, did you eat meat over the last 10 years? And then people say, oh, no, I haven't. But it's like, yeah, but you might have. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you don't know. Yep. All right. Last question. Orange Wedge. Which is the key ingredient that helps preserve India pale ale beers and gives them their distinctive sharp taste? Come Chris on. buzzed in. I mean, first. I want to say India pale ale is their, their distinctive You're sharp one of those taste. people on Jeopardy that buzz is first. It just- and then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I mean. Because there's no penalty here. Um, <laughs> we should socially. readjust the scores with penalties. I want to know. No, what, the well, what I was going to say was hops. Correct. Oh, it it's is. Hops. Okay. I think okay. I think they meant like extra I, of. Yeah, not yeah, yeah. That I didn't want to like only... over. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't want to yeah. overthink it, but at the same time, it seems a little basic. But okay, it's. I mean, you, you all, you all. I don't need. I hope I don't need to prove to you all that I like beer. But I just yeah. IPAs are just. It's just an area I've just never been able to. No, just never been able to muster up the enthusiasm for it. It's just not my. It's just not my. Like thing. I want to like it. I want to like a lot of things. It's just going after that one specific type of beer drinker that wants things to be super hoppy, and it just gets hoppier and hoppier to the point. <laughs> like even in my younger years, when it was just like, oh, I want to, you know, I want to get some alcohol. I want to, you know, I'm going to drink and like get buzzed. Like, you're like, here's an IPA. It's like, ah, oh, yes. Get through half of it. Like, do you have any Splenda? <laughs> yeah, Sounds real bad. Today's topic, uh, we did uh, uh, suggestions with our listeners. Miss Lorna Mirison wrote in and she suggested a topic about hobbies, strange and unusual things that people do around the world and throughout history to keep themselves entertained. I myself have been heavily inspired by Miss Dana here and all of the laser stuff she made. I want to be creative too and pick up a new hobby. And I picked up two. Uh, One of them is ceramics. I also watched uh, this show on HBO Max called The Great Pottery Throwdown. And like Ah. many things, I watch a show and I'm like, oh, I want to do that too. (laughs) Um, And the other strange hobby I picked up, uh, making shoes from scratch. When I saw the first thing you posted online of the shoes you made, I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know she was doing this. It was incredible. Fun fact, what is the term for a shoemaker? A cobbler? Um, Cobbler? Aside from cobbler, yeah. Are you looking for something different than cobbler? A cobbler Uh fixes shoes. Right, okay. But doesn't make- A cord wainer makes shoes. shoes. (laughs) Get out of here. So you've been been waning a bunch of cords. (laughs) Cord wainer. Wain all the cords. (laughs) So today, we're talking hobbies. I found a hobby. I found a hobby. Out in the lobby, I went insane. A voice inside me said, "Kid, you love it. I think you're into a heavy Well, I have a hobby I can share. So I'll tell you. I'll tell you some words that I learned uh, in the last. Mm, 24 hours, let's say. Okay. <laughs> okay. Right, and you can try and guess what uh, what hole I fell down. <clears throat> Piems. 
Paiku, Pilish, and Pyphilology. You guys can probably guess. People who uh, memorize uh, the digits of pi. This is all the linguistic linguistic pursuits around pi. So today is pi day, P-I, the... the, uh, the most famous irrational number, probably. Uh, so three, one, four, March 14th, we are recording. I started off, I just wanted to just kind of look up and see if there were any kind of cool pie mnemonics. I really didn't mean to sort of fall into a pie hole, if you will. Um, <laughs> as So again, just very quickly, you know, you guys all, of course, remember that pie never ends, right? 3.1, on and on and on, because it is an Four, irrational yeah. number. <laughs> Which yeah, means okay. it ne- it neither you repeats. Just, you, you can't make, get it to listen. You just cannot. <laughs> as you want to, however much you want it, just like now. Listen. Once upon a time, I remember in one of our trivia nights. I remember we were together. We we all learned this mnemonic. May I have a large container of coffee, cream, and sugar? And yeah. the mnemonic there is that in each word, the number of letters in that word corresponds to the digits in that position of pi. Right. So that would give you. Three one four one five nine two six five three five, mm-hmm. uh, which is a, a, a very a, a very good really approximation of pi. Yeah, and that, that is, is really a good. good. One. It is good. Easy to remember. I found a really good one here that I liked. Uh, out to fifteen digits credited to Sir James Hopwood Jeans, and uh, I can imagine some some. He was uh, knighted for this mnemonic. Yeah, for this mnemonic <laughs> like alone, a... his service service to the empire. British crown. Yeah, <laughs> yes, advances in the field of pyphology. How I want to drink, alcoholic, of course, after the heavy chapters involving quantum mechanics. <laughs> okay, that's good. <laughs> that's just some of the basic mnemonics. Now, people, of course, because, I mean, you've got the intersection of math and, you know, word nerds and just hundreds, thousands of years of time. People, people <laughs> have and, and just not knowing this. when to stop. I'm going to go ahead yeah. and write a whole poem. I'm going to write a haiku. That's a paiku, if you will. Uh, a, a pie poem would be a pylum. Pilish, sort of the, the the blanket term for writing, a constrained writing style where the lengths of all the words have to match the digits of pi. People have written novel length. No. Yes. Oh, sure. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So yeah, a full length novel, uh, which apparently holds the record for longest pi text 10,000 digits. Uh, I I, I make absolutely no promise it makes for good reading. I have not read it, but it exists if you want to go find it. A long time ago, over 20 years ago, I met somebody who had memorized pi out to, you know, 200, 300 digits or something like that. And he said the way that he did it was um, he envisioned a a number keypad on a a computer keyboard. He drew out the shapes that each sequence of numbers would make going around the keypad, and then he memorized those shapes. Mm. And then just recalled that order of shapes and then just went around the keypad for the the numbers. That's a really cool idea. You got to have a really good visual memory for that. Yeah. Right, right. Yeah. (laughs) I wonder who he was trying to impress. <laughs> I guarantee you that whoever it was was not at that video game convention. <laughs> I just like who are, who are you doing this for? Because <laughs> you have to show some. This is a performance, so because you can. I have a question. Yes. <laughs> what happens when you get a zero? Oh, Karen, that's a great question. Uh, it, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> in st- in standard pilish. Uh, <laughs> Apparently, the, the basic rules are you just uh, you make that a 10-digit word. 
Okay, so you just substitute oh. a 10-digit word for zero. There are, if you want to get into more elaborate pilish, there are some techniques where if you want, you can take a 12-digit word to represent the sequence one, two. Mm. You see what I'm saying? But you you're getting, really, you're getting two, you, two digits in one. That's yeah, right. Word. You, yep, right. That's right. Some people some people work in punctuation if they want. Uh, some what? People just say, yeah, exactly. So if you want to put, you know, a comma, you know, for a zero uh, instead of using a letter, oh. you could do that. It, it Really, it's up to whatever works for you, right? It is a field where you can just go crazy and just nerd this out. This is a hobby. It is a this hobby. It's definitely a Absolutely hobby. Absolutely a hobby. Yeah. So if you, if you just want to fall down the same hole, you can just Google Pilish. Uh, and there, there's a good number of resources out there. So happy Pi Day, everybody. Although you'll be listening to this several days after actual Pi Day, but enjoy. So Karen mentioned it earlier, but I've gotten really into art and, and crafts lately. <laughs> That's a, a one, one way that I've been weathering the pandemic is just sitting around making stuff. And it's really fun to come back to it as an adult. There's like a very robust craft community on the internet and on Instagram. This is a very interesting nice way really of saying it. it. Yeah. Robust. Robust. Yeah. So I, I decided to make you all a craft quiz. Oh. And to me, mm. I thought these were easy. And now I'm like, wait a minute. these right, I'm reading right. them again. And I'm like, maybe they're not. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> okay. Everybody get your barnyard buzzers ready. And we'll start the craft quiz now. Question number one. What is amigurumi? Karen. Crochet, like little stuffed animals, or they're like felted little stuffed animals, but I feel like they're cute. It's Japanese for cute yarn. So yes, it's crocheted or sometimes knitted little cute animals or people. They're super popular right now. Perhaps I've made some of these over the pandemic. <laughs> They're fun. I actually have one right here because oh, they, made, oh, Yoshi. Um, they made amiibo figures that um, are like amigurumi. They're little crocheted Yoshis. Yeah, it's made out of yarn. Okay, next question. Which type of wool comes from a rabbit? Oh, oh. Colin. Angora? Yes, Angora from Angora Rabbits. Very breathable and soft and expensive. It's funny. I I saw somewhere else um, the term rabbit wool, and I always thought it was kind of weird because you know for wool you I think of sheep mm. and you yeah, think of rabbit like fur, rabbit wool, like curly, fuzzy. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Like a little fluff ball, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Next question: What is the name of the major social networking site that launched in two thousand and seven? Focuses specifically on fiber artists. Uh, they have like over 9 million users. Pins. <laughs> over over Chris. 9 million users, none of whom are me. <laughs> it's no. in my, I feel like it's in my punch bowl. I feel like is I it read Pinterest? This. Is it Pinterest? Because it's pin- not Pinterest. It, it's oh. kind of a, a yarny pun, I will say. Mm. Pass. It's Ravelry. Oh, okay. Okay. That's tickling some part of my brain now. Ravelry. That's clever. That's clever. That's a great site if you need to look up some amigurumi patterns. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I see. Oh, I see. see. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You want to make a hat for somebody. Okay. Next question. What do pinking shears do? Colin. They, the uh, pinking shears, they, they cut the little uh, jaggy edges. I'm making little jaggy sign with my finger. They cut like yes. little diagonals. 
Yes, there's the zigzag zigzag scissors. They're for for cutting fabric so it unravels less, Hmm. basically. They're not just called zigzag scissors? (laughs) (laughs) They're called pinking shears. And they were named for a a flower, I believe it's called the pink, that has kind of zigzag uh, petals. Carnation-y, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, kind of carnation Zigzag scissors, pinking shears. Next question. What type of craft am I talking about if I mention crow's foot, Lazy Daisy, Chinese Knot, and Blanket. Karen. Macrame. <laughs> no. What? Chris. Crocheting. No. Mm, I, was, I, would, I was gonna well, guess macrame. Naughty? It's embroidery. Lots of knots oh, and fancy uh, little stitches with that. That's having a moment. I guess heard, what, I heard guess who got an embroidery thought. machine in the house? What? That's me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Have you used it yet? Yes. But it's, <laughs> so in order to, you know, I, I, they, they have some like pre-programmed like shapes and stuff that you can start embroider or they like fonts. But mm-hmm. if you want to make your own design, you need to learn an entire suite of computer programs to program how the stitches work and what direction and oh. the density and stuff. And that, that has that been very fun. overwhelming. That so you think you're like, oh yeah, awesome. cool. I'll just like put in a, a picture and I'll embroider it out. It's it's no, it's very it's very <laughs> programmy yeah. actually. Okay, uh, which actor during his recreation time is a woodworker who produced the video "Fine Woodstrip Canoe Building"? Uh, woodworking actor. My guess has got to be Nick Offerman. Yes, Nick Offerman. Okay, no, okay. Uh, Nick Offerman founded the Offerman Woodshop. He was on Parks and Recreation. He's on the the crafting game show Making It. Yeah, he sells wooden things and he has other artists who are, who work out of his studio who sell their wood crafts too. Wow, so you can what buy dream. something from Nick Offerman's shop. Which former rapper had a show on the DIY network for nine years? Former rapper oh. DIY network. For nine years. Nine. Oh, is it? Colin. No, 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 it was the wrong network. I was I was I was gonna say exhibit, but it's it's the wrong oh, network. Yeah, it's, it's the wrong yeah. network. It's not DIY. That is a that is a, a, a kind of a yeah, you know, really yeah, kind of, yeah, sort of crafting. Huh. Yeah. Ooh. You guys give up? Uh yeah. never, never. Oh <laughs> Chris. Um Snoop Dogg's oh, uh, guess that. Birdhouse Challenge. <laughs> I mean, I believe he would have a Not show. Yeah. Because yeah. yeah. he's like BFFs with Martha, Martha Stewart. But um, no, it's Vanilla Ice. Vanilla I was going to say, was my other joke answer. <laughs> yeah. No, what? he literally had a show for nine years where I'll they just like know. do makeover, house I'll, makeovers. I'll let, by the way, I'll let him know that you called him a former rapper. <laughs> I, I think he would call himself What's a former rap? rapper too. Still rap he doesn't forever. do it anymore. It was a home make home makeover show. Yeah, and so like if you wanted his... vanilla ice to decorate your house, he would do it. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> okay, what is the common brand name of the crafting staple initially called modern decoupage? Uh, oh, hmm. Karen. Paper mache. No. Chris. Scrapbooking? No. It's a, there's a brand name. Craft staple. It's like at every craft store. Yeah. Full on display of this. Karen. Mod Podge? Oh. Yes. Mod Podge. Yeah. Oh, is that it? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah, Mod Podge. Oh. Mod Podge. Funky, it's funky not Mod Podge? 
No, it's Mod, Mod Podge Mod, for modern yeah, decoupage. Mod, yeah. I thought it was Mod Podge. Oh, yeah. I, I just got the second le- Mod Podge, modern decoupage. That's yeah. Oh. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh. Wow. Okay. Do you know what it's for? Do you know what it what it does? No idea. I just used it as glue and glaze, basically. Anything, yeah. anything you want to stick, stick, stick or cover. Yep, glue and yeah, glaze. It's like you want to um, have fancy cut paper glued onto something with varnish, and there's no sanding, and it dries very quickly. Used to be a really big hassle, but this woman, a crafter in the '60s, figured out a good formula for for this kind of uh, that's great varnishy adhesive. She made it in her garage. A whole, <laughs> a whole crafting, <laughs> yeah, this whole crafting area just exploded because all of a sudden it became a lot mm-hmm. easier to do. F- figuratively exploded. It yeah, still got that. <laughs> yeah, it's non toxic yeah, and it doesn't right, explode. Right, right. But, yeah. <laughs> And okay. still got that Austin Powers like label, just you know, like, yeah, yeah. You know, which hilariously, the whole oh, yeah. idea, right? It must have been, oh, it's modern, so we're going to use the most modern right now today <laughs> design yeah. possible to let you know that this is something that happened just like ten minutes ago, and they never changed yeah. it. Yeah, no, now yeah, you feel like you went in like the time machine the looking at it. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, um, okay, just two more questions. What paper cutting machine shares its name with an insect? Oh, Karen. oh, oh. I pronounce it wrong on oh, purpose. Yeah. I say a cry cut machine, but I know it's <laughs> cricket because yeah. it has it's a, the logo has gotcha. a C with little like bug antennas on it. I, yeah. I thought it was cry cut because I've only ever seen it written. If you've only ever seen it and not heard it, yeah. Like I, I think I first people heard say someone, cricket. People yeah, say, I, people, someone. Yeah, I first like if heard you it. if you call it a cry cut, then people don't think you know what you're doing. That's what the pros call it. That's the, the, that's the gatekeeper. <laughs> well, I'm a that's rebel. A, yeah. Yeah. yeah, you'll look like a fool if you call it a cry cut. <laughs> <laughs> Those things are I fun. I would love. To, oh, I would love to have, have one, one of those. I oh man, I, I I'm jealous. That I would love to have one of those. I cut my sneaker leather like the pattern. You want to borrow it ever? You can. You, I think you'd like it. It's fun. You can make your own stickers and stuff. Okay. Last question. Butterick, Berta, McCall's, and Simplicity all make what? Oh, Karen. Karen. Sewing patterns. Yes, sewing patterns. McCall's is the only one I oh, recognize. Yeah, okay, okay. Did you take home ec? When you were in school and like junior I high, I actually did. did. I did. Yeah. What'd no, you make? I didn't. We made, um, I didn't. We made. I remember making uh, pillows. So like mm-hmm. cutting out fabric. Was it a pencil? Pattern. I made the oh, pencil. Oh yeah, you could make a pencil. I, made I, I pe- forget what I did. Yeah. You made the pencil. <laughs> I bet that's <laughs> yeah. the kit. I bet it's the same home ec like oh, yeah. kit. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> if I, I made something, but it wasn't the pencil. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. No, they didn't have it at my high school, and I, I was actually was like, I, I wish we had. The, like, I hear about well, it. You, you went know, to a and, cool high school. Well, I mean, <laughs> that's debatable, but uh, you know, I. <laughs> anyway, that's my craft quiz. That's what I. If you guys right. wondered what I've been up to this year, <laughs> this <is laughs> a, a little bit from every one of those. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to eighty percent less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Now, in a in a previous episode of Good Job Brain, uh, episode 149 to be exact, I think Karen, you kind of pointed out like, oh, Chris, you recently hit an interesting milestone. I was like, yeah, I had just uh, finished up uh, a collection of video games that I was trying to do, which I was trying to get all of the officially licensed by Nintendo games for the original 8-bit Nintendo Entertainment System. And I had just hit that milestone. I did not get, there was one game that at the time was worth like $8,000. It is now worth like $20,000. It's called Stadium. And that's just for the loose game cartridge, not for the box and everything like that. It's called Stadium Events. They, They only made a little handful of them. Because I'm an old school video game collector, a lot of what I had concentrated on was what a lot of other people concentrated on was this idea of piecing together a set, finding out what is the set of all these games, and then trying to build the set. There have been some recent very fascinating events in the field of rare and expensive video game collecting things have really changed on the ground and like, like what is going on? What is the notion of what is valuable? So, I mean, the driving force behind collecting up until a couple of years ago really was that idea of, I want to get a whole set of games for uh, this, this console that like, that's kind of what made stadium events, which otherwise is an unremarkable game. Game, It's not a very good game. Um, It's not something that people remember fondly from their childhoods. It's not something that had a huge impact on the gaming industry. There's just not a lot of copies of it. And if you want to get every Nintendo game, like you have to have it. So it goes up in rarity. What has been happening over the last few years is that people from other sort of more matured collecting spheres, people who had in the past collected comic books or Mm. baseball cards or coins even have been looking at video games as this cultural artifact of the eighties and nineties and, and saying to themselves, this is the next big thing that's like comics because at this point, you know, comics, baseball cards, coins, you know, prices have really kind of stabilized across the board. We, we know what's desirable and what's not with video games. They saw it as kind of the wild west as they came into video games are kind of changing the the notion of what is desirable. One of the other kind of big things that happened is there's a new game rating service. Uh, it's called WADA Games. Mm. Um, if you've seen pawn, if you've seen episodes of Pawn Stars recently, the, the guy who runs WADA Games is now called in as when the when the Pawn Stars guys are like, I got a buddy who knows about video games. Mm. That that's he the WADA <laughs> Games guy comes in on the segment. The other hobbies all have their kind of official rating system. They they do. Right. Yeah. And so for games for a long time there's this Didn't um, have- there's well, it had it is called VGA, Video Game Authority, and it was an offshoot of the popular action figure um, graders. Mm-hmm. They only graded the sealed games. Oh, Wada okay. Games came in with a couple of big things, and they said, we're going to grade and authenticate, importantly, authenticate everything. And Wada really specifically did their grading system the same way that comic books are graded to give those the comic book people they can understand a little bit better when they see oh "Oh, this is a 9.5 they know what that means in the comic world so they just transfer that right over to the knowledge of the of the Mm, games oh and also wada got tied up with um very very closely with heritage auctions which is the big auction house wada starts grading the games the games start appearing then on on heritage auctions 
And so, again, all these sort of things kind of came together to raise awareness of game collecting. Um, and there's a gold rush going on right now where people are there's there's some big money collectors that are paying a lot of money to get their hands on what they feel are the best of the best games. But their notions of what a desirable game is are different. So it's not, I got to get this last game for my set because they're not building sets. Mm, Um, When you think about collectibles like comics, the more desirable comic books are not like some random final issue of an obscure comic you've never heard of. Right. It's action comics. Number one, the first appearance of Superman, mm-hmm. you know, the, the detective comics issue. That's the first appearance of Batman. Those are the comics that are the, the mil- literally the million dollar comics right now. It's like cu- cultural touch points. Yep. They're, and they're not necessarily rarity, not necessarily. I mean, they're rare, but they're yeah. not the rarest, they're right. not the yeah. rarest comic books. They're they're keyed to like the first appearances of iconic characters and the really expensive ones are the ones where they're in like amazing condition because yeah. you have people getting in to whom, you know, money is no object. You know, I mean, famously, right, like, you know, Nicolas Cage, right, like collected comics. Yep, yep. Well, I, th- I feel like the Nicolas Cage of 10 years from now, whoever that may be, is going to collect expensive, rare video games because – Nicholas Cage looked back at the iconic characters, you know, that he knew of his childhood versus people are going to look back at Super Mario Brothers. Yep. So they, these collectors are kind of coming in and applying that set of standards to games to kind of determine what is, this is what is desirable to me. This is what I want to spend on. Uh, so you're seeing a lot of like price explosions at the high ends. This is not to say every copy of these games because they're looking for, in most cases, mint sealed the highest grade possible of things like super mario brothers super mario brothers that's a game you you start collecting video games you probably already have a copy of super mario brothers to the old collector mentality to like my mentality it's like yeah i got super mario brothers and i never thought about (laughs) it again mario zelda mike tyson's punch out is like Mm -hmm. huge right now (laughs) and then like final fantasy mega man pokemon stuff like that so that part's obvious right condition obviously they're looking for like these high grade you know, sealed copies that were never removed from the shrink wrap. That's obvious too. Here's what's less obvious about what's going on right now. Because people are bringing in a sort of mentality from the world of rare book collecting also. And these new game collectors are spending big, big money to get the first printings Mm -hmm. of these games. Mm -hmm. Well, how do you identify the first printing of a video game? Yeah. Because with, with books, typically, especially modern day books, you identify a first edition because you open up the book and it, and it says, says on there like 10-9-7-6-5-4-3-2-1. Right. And then every time they do a new edition of the book, they delete one number off of that list and then they rerun or every time they do a printing, right? right. So if you mm-hmm. see the one, great. That's the first edition, first printing. That hasn't, of course, it hasn't always been the case with books. And so with video games, it's 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 kind of like older books where it's like you have to do the research and you have to know what ID is the first printing of the book. And so it's, it's stuff like that. So it's just some examples like the legend of Zelda you are looking for on the box where it says Nintendo entertainment system. Um, you want it to say TM trademark. What you don't want is for it to have an R with a circle for a registered trademark. Because the <laughs> first before it got registered. <laughs> was right before they, and they, and they switched over to the registered trademark, like very shortly after the first run of the legend of Zelda. People who work at Nintendo today don't even know this because nobody was paying it. Like, right. Paying attention <laughs> yeah. to that. 95% um, of the people working there weren't hmm. even there when these games came out anyway. <laughs> right. So it's just the hobbyists putting all this stuff together. 
with Super Mario Brothers, that's a very early uh, NES game, and it was before they shrink-wrapped games at all. Um, oh. And so what they actually did was they took one of those. It was like a video rental sticker where if you peel it off, it says void underneath it in silver. Mm-hmm. They were mm-hmm. popping. They were taking little Nintendo stickers like that and sealing just the, the flap of the box oh, yeah. with a little sticker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember um, that. Well, if you still have any, you're, you're rich. Oh, no. no. Uh, They're so, gone. Yeah. And I, and I yeah. opened them. You know, I, I played yeah, yeah, yeah. them. I did. Right. Well, <laughs> yeah. the funny thing is uh, nobody's ever found a first print of Super Mario Brothers that's still sealed. They found a second print because, again, funny thing, they switched from Nintendo stickers with a, with a matte finish to stickers with a glossy oh, finish. Oh, my God. God. And little glossy sticker is second printing. So again, it's <laughs> oh it's all there. And God. if they ever find if they ever find a sealed, I mean, basically at this point, it's just believed that there are no copies of the first printing. Because everybody opened them. Yep. And it's just weird stuff. And then, then one of the big ones is uh, that's that's gotten a lot of notoriety is called the Left Bros version of Super Mario Brothers Three. They actually changed um, the design of the Super Mario Brothers Three logo. This is not a little change. It's a pretty, you know, big change. Like they moved the word "brothers" uh, from the the left side to the right side. Because if you look at the le- if you look at the original one where the, the the Bros was over on the left, it looks like the game's title is Super Mario Three Brothers. Like it just it, just, it doesn't read right. Oh, yeah. Got it. So they moved it. So now everybody knows that the first printing of Mario three is the one where the the brothers is on the left. So it's just all, it's all kind of, it's weird. So Mike Tyson's punch out, there's a list of bullet point features on the front. And if the, if the bullet points themselves are white, then that's the first printing, (laughs) but then they change the bullet points to orange. These new collectors coming in, they knew all this weird stuff, but what's important is the video game, even the video game dealers, video game stores, the people that were selling at conventions, collectors, they didn't know any of this. Not only were they not going after these first printings, they didn't even know how to identify one. So in 2019, it was announced and it's made big news. This is now getting into the uh, stuff that might come up in your in your next trivia night. 2019, a sealed second printing Super Mario Brothers had sold for $100,150. And that was the first time ever recorded that a video game had sold for six figures. Um, Wow. And one of the most common games in existence, but it was the nicest copy of a very early edition of it. Um, If you're listening, you're like, I have a copy of Super Mario Brothers. You should go check it. If it's in a box at this point, like, yeah, I mean, you should actually go check and learn a little bit about what version it is, because... Even if you know it's, you might think it's worth $100, but it actually might be worth more than that. Um, <laughs> some more recent prices. This is all from Heritage Auctions. Uh, recently, a mid-production Mario, like one from later on, sold for $114,000. Wow. So oh my God. now any, it's like now it's not just that early, early copy. It's now there's this sort of a gold rush to get right. in on any sealed copy of the original. It's funny. It's not even the origins of the Super Mario Brothers series because it, when, with because the original Super Mario Brothers is a Japanese Famicom game, right? For the Japanese system. So that's the actual first printing of Super Mario Brothers. It didn't come to the US until months later. And then you're right, Karen. The actual first, if you want to own the first appearance of Mario, you have to go buy a Donkey Kong 
sit down arcade cabinet. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck finding a shrink wrapped one of those. Right. All the people who grew up with it, you know, 30s, 40s, 50s, they're they're now able to, "Ah, I want to collect some of these things. And it was always kind of theoretical in the past. What kids right now are getting that we can just get sealed copies of. (laughs) Well, you know, honestly, I well, I do think actually that you're what you're going to see is an explosion in Pokemon. Pokemon games might eclipse the Mario games at some point because once you start getting into 90s kids and 2000s kids, once they start getting a bunch of money to to mess around with, they might go back and and start driving up the price of the Pokemon stuff for sure. Wait, 30 Um, years, these Paw Patrol toys will (laughs) be worth (laughs) A lot of things have to happen to make something collectible. Like a lot of, you know, there was a lot of, clearly a lot of behind the scenes um, with the setting up of the grading, you know, company and heritage oh, auctions wanting to make it a big deal that's that's gotten the awareness. So it's really hard to tell um, what exactly it's going to be. But so he left a a left bros. Super Mario Brothers three uh, has now sold for one hundred and fifty six thousand dollars. That is currently the the record for um, uh, a video game sale. That's not, though, the highest priced video game item ever sold on heritage auctions. Um, does anybody what remember is? what that was? Was it a gold cartridge, like a Super Mario Three? Ah, uh, good guess, but it was. It, so it was called the Nintendo PlayStation. Mm. Um, very, very quickly, yeah. Just a recap. Uh, oh, in the 19, console. The console in 1988, Nintendo was working on the 16-bit console, which would become the Super Famicom or the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. They made a deal with Sony, which at that point wasn't in video games at all. Sony wanted to manufacture a combo unit, but it also had a CD-ROM drive. Nintendo kind of like, it was a bad deal for them. And they ended up uh, walking away from the partnership. But Sony made prototypes of this console, which was a Super Nintendo with a CD-ROM drive in it. So in 2015, there was a Reddit thread where people were discussing this prototype, which had been seen in photos and stuff like that, and talking about what it, oh, what would this have been like? And a guy in the thread is like, oh, my dad has one of those. <laughs> and, and of course, it's Reddit. So people are like, no, your dad doesn't have one of these. He's like, no, he's got it in his attic. And so eventually the guy gets back to his dad's house, goes up to the attic. And yes, he absolutely had one up in the attic. He brought it down and the dad had worked for a company that was run by the guy who was the former head of Sony America, Sony Computer America. And this was in the stuff that the guy left behind after he quit the company. And like, it was just in a box of stuff and the guy ended up with it. (laughs) And so they get it working again. It becomes a huge thing. They tore it around at gaming conventions for a few years until they auctioned it in 2020 and it sold for $360,000. So that's the highest price like video game collectible ever, 360. But I think we can see the way things are going that something will eclipse that like pretty soon. For sure. I I mean, in our lifetimes, we we are going to see the first million dollar video game. Probably in the next 10 years, we will see the first million dollar video game. I I don't know what it's gonna be, but it's the money the money is there. Yeah. So yeah, no, you're right. It'll 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 follow comics and baseball cards and all of that. Yeah. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, 
as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So we've touched on this before that we love old words, old names. A part of you know a lot of people's hobbies is collecting a time-intensive and very obsessive hobby for a lot of people. Stamp collecting. Um, what is the term for stamp collecting? Philately. Philately. Yeah. Philately. Uh, and then for coin collecting, it is? Numismatics. Yeah. So those terms are pretty old-timey, I would say. Philately, the phil comes from phil, love in, in Greek, affinity for something. Hmm. and like then high um, philology. Yeah, yes. <laughs> and then example. Adley, duties and taxes. Mm, because yes. of stamps right. you mm, know so mm. so the word roots mm-hmm. are, are kind of strange a numismatist numismatics uh it comes from the root is omisma greek root for current coin and custom mm. Mm. so these are kind of obscure words and Sorry. importantly like they were made up by the nerds who did this like yes. even right. as a little almost as a little in jokey kind of thing right yes and, and very similar to uh, phobia names, which we talked about before, um, these types of words tend to use Greek roots. So I asked our fans on Twitter, uh, what are some of the things they collect? And I made up my own unofficial <laughs> hobby collector. These are terms. just as official as the ones you'd find okay. elsewhere. Yep. Yep. Uh, I used some Greek roots. Nothing too obscure or too uh, ungettable. I picked the ones that I could really construct them into something that we could all get. Um, So really, this is a quiz uh, about if you can figure out what the Greek roots are. Um, All right. So this is a write-in quiz. Uh, I will share a collector term I made up. And your challenge is to guess what is the item that is being collected for this hobby. All right. Okay. Okay. Actually, this is a real term. So, for example, if I say lotto-lologist, it's lottery. a person who collects- Lottery tickets. Lottery tickets. Lottery tickets lotto yeah. lologist Lotto-lologist. Yeah. Lo- I mean, it's, it's real because you said it. Yeah. 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 Lotto-logist. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. okay. So, here we go. I will give you the fake Greek collector term that I made up. And then give you some time to write what you think, what item this person collects. Disco venal file. <laughs> Disco venal file. Thanks to uh, Twitter friends Brian McCoy, Aaron Hay, K-May Mag, who all are involved with this hobby. Disco venal file. Okay. All right. We all ready? Answers up. Colin says records. Dana says vintage records. Chris says records. I put record albums. Correct. You guys are all correct. Guess what? Vinyl is a a pretty new invention. So the Greek word for vinyl is vinyl. (laughs) Vinyl. (laughs) Disco vinyl file. Okay. What does a magnetophile collect? 
This is from Johnny CX86. He says, if we ever visit somewhere, we collect this item. Mm. Magnetophile. I'm trying not to overthink. Yeah. Same. Answer is up. Magnets, magnets, magnets. Correct. Magnetophile. It's really smart to have a thing like that because then people know what to get you all the time. So you probably <laughs> always get a present whenever people travel. What does a periodologist collect? Periodologist. Twitter user Jennifer Chu. Complete relation <laughs> to me. Is that legal? Co- collects this. <laughs> Periodologist. Greek roots. Greek roots. Time's up. Ready? Uh, sorry, I was drawing a little emoji. Colin says teeth. Dana says magazines. Mm. And Chris says calendars. Very good. Oh. Magazines is what I'm yep. looking for. Yeah, I yep. like Dana's. As soon as I saw Dana's, yep. I was like, oh, periodicals. Yeah. Yep. Periodicals. Yeah. Jennifer says she collects back issues of very specific magazines like Sassy, Lucky Peach, and Budget Living. All right. If you are an ostophile, osto, O-S-T-O-file, you collect what? Ostophile. This is something Aaliyah Rose 9 collects. All right. Answer is up. Colin says bones. Dana says bones. (laughs) Chris says ostriches. It is bones. (laughs) It makes a lot more sense now that I think about it. Yeah. Skulls. Now, to be fair, half a point for me, because if you collect ostriches, Ost- yes, collect. you they also collect ostrich bones as part of the full set. So one one hundredth of a point. Ooh. Yeah. Let it be known. Partial credit. One one penny. Put that down. What does a stylophile collect? Stylophile. S-T-Y-L-O. File. Collectors usually end with file, like francophile, or ologist. Stilophile. And this is our Twitter friend Sikelski collects this. All right, answer is up. Colin says pens. Dana says. Oh, I like that. I said fashion or styles. (laughs) Oh, styles and fashion. Chris says pen and sills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It is fountain pens or pens and pencils also. Okay. That makes sense. Stylish. You know what? I would think that this this hobby would have an official term because I feel like a lot of people collect fountain pens old pens yeah my um, mom had a, few, a very very small collection of some old fountain they're just pens. called pen yeah. collectors <laughs> <laughs> now we're getting into some real specific tortured made up words very specific take a guess at cheese chimp is a dendro cartologist dendro cartologist greek terms dendro is one word carto is another word and this is my best attempt at uh, coming up with a term. This is for about it. as much effort goes into the official ones, Karen. So you're on solid <laughs> oh, okay, ground. Okay. You're absolutely. Oh, no, no, this on, is yeah. very specific, but, but you know, I'll, I'll go with whatever. <laughs> Answers up. Colin says hand-drawn maps. Uh, Dana says maps. Oh, Chris says maps of fictional places. Very good because of the carto. I'll read what Cheese Chim says. He says I collect magic cards, not just general magic cards, but I collect specifically every printing of the card named Forest. It's a card printed. Basically, every set, there's like some sort of Forest card, and Forest is my first right, name. Right, sure. 
And so oh, Dendro ah, tree ah, card card wow. cartologist. Tree card okay. collector. <laughs> wow. Oh, one of those. <laughs> yeah, I would not have been able to guess that. All right. Okay. This is this is pretty specific. Don't overthink it. Okay. What is a Colorado Olympiologist? Colorado Olympiologist. And this came from Ian Morrison, CO, who wrote in and said that he collects memorabilia surrounding this. Colorado Olympiologist. All right. Colin says, canceled Denver Olympics oh. uh, paraphernalia. Uh, Dana says, Olympics memorabilia. And then Chris says, bronze <laughs> medals. Colin Only is- bronze medals. Nailed it. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Memorabilia from the Denver 1976 Olympics that never happened. It was, and this is a crazy story. I'm going to end my quiz with this. Uh, Denver Olympics 1976, a little bit context. In 1972, Sapporo had the Olympic Winter Games and it cost, uh, it says here, $1.3 billion. So they were spending so much money on winter olympics and so when it came for the 1976 olympics bid denver was like hey we'll host the games on the cheap we'll only spend 14 million as compared to the 1.3 billion that japan spent obviously they didn't this didn't happen um and i'm i'm sitting here from sports illustrated in 1970 denver was awarded the 1976 Winter Olympics. And also it was like the US bicentennial. So it was kind of like, oh, okay, it's in it's in America, it's a big deal. Um, and then there were some red flags as as time progressed. They didn't have enough hotel rooms for visitors. The proposed mountain for downhill skiing didn't really have much snow. And uh, when they were proposing it to the the IOC, they actually had an artist to like airbrush snow onto pictures of (laughs) of the mountain. The biathlon, which is the people shooting on skis, the biathlon route had to go through people's backyards. (laughs) (laughs) And the committee was like, oh, yeah, you know, people are totally cool with having some gaps in their fences so that biathletes. So that people with guns can can casually come skiing through their their house. (laughs) And um, another big red flag was, you know, as the costs were building up, Denver, the, the committee was like, Oh man, we can't build a bobsled track. So let's propose this. We'll hold the bobsled events in Lake Placid in New York State, but everything else <laughs> is is still in Colorado. It's super interesting. So Ian Morrison, he says he collects, he's trying to collect all the memorabilia that was a uh, that that was made for trying to get the bid for the Olympics. And then also, you know, made in preparation for the Olympics, and it just never happened. Denver had to give it back. Well, it's um, like there's the whole there's the whole category. Uh, I mean, I know there are people who collect the the losing team paraphernalia from like the Super Bowl, and if there's like a Game Seven for the NBA or World Series, because right, they have to have right, the hats right. and the T-shirts and all that stuff ready to go. Mm-hmm. I have to come so, clean. I have oh. to come clean. I, I I got this question because I happened to see this on our Twitter feed for the good job, Ray. <laughs> well, you know, you can be rewarded with cheating, points. corruption. I, I didn't know it was going to be on the quiz. I was just <laughs> with our fans. Yeah. 
This is one of the coolest collections I've heard of. No, absolutely. I was telling my wife, I'm like, oh, look at this. This is great. He collects canceled Olympic memorabilia. That's great. I love it. Do you guys remember uh, from that previous episode I was mentioning, we talked about hobbies and uh, um, uh, vapoludology. We we, we joked about vapoludology. Remember what what, the the joke was? What was that? It It was a person who collects Steam games. (laughs) <laughs> oh ludo was games yeah, yeah. right and vapo yeah that's good was it, was the uh, community had a dick wolf oh that's right that's right oh. lupine urology yeah <laughs> <laughs> uh, great all right. great tv uh, joke and we got our last segment colin i have a question for you guys if you can remember i want you to think back and tell me what was the very first album, music album, that you bought for yourself with your own money? Oh. Like, it doesn't matter format, CD, cassette. My memory is that the first CD that I bought with my own money was actually the soundtrack to The Lion King. Ooh, I think I remember right. buying that. But it's like I had tons of CDs and cassettes and stuff like that, but I think sure, that's sure. where I went to a store, had money, yep. and, and bought it. Dana, what do, what do you think? My first CD that I ever bought was um, by The Real McCoy. I'm looking at their, their Wikipedia right now. It's <laughs> oh a multi-platinum gosh. selling crossover hit. Or Another night! German Eurodance. Yes. Wow. <laughs> German Eurodance and pop music talk. project. Yeah, talk I told to I told you. Yeah. in the in night, night in your tree. <laughs> like do you remember any of the other songs on that? No. You know what? I liked their album, but that oh. was the song that I played a lot. I really liked that song. <laughs> that was my first my first CD. Karen. I don't I don't deal with my parents with for every A I, I got, I think in high school, then I, I would get a CD. I think with money I earned probably would be Weird Al, <laughs> Bad Hair Day. I think that was the oh, Amish right. Paradise one. First thing that I bought for myself with my own money was the cassette version of the official movie soundtrack to the movie Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> that's, a, that's a great they're song. Good, they're good songs. Great songs in there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I believe. I did listen- you buy it for the Ghostbusters song? Well, naturally I did. Okay. Yeah. I, I, and you know, I mean, so this was, uh, you know, 84, you know, and I, 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 I would have been 10 dating myself here. Uh, and I, I mean, I remember I was in the tower records in Hollywood. I was there with my dad, of course. And I was like looking at it. The song, the song was a hit at the time. And I was like, I could afford this, like this cassette. I don't even remember whatever the whatever the price was. I was like, I could buy this. And my dad, if I can, I buy this with my allowance money. He's like, you know, if you want to buy it, of course. And <laughs> my dad being a big, big music collector and record collector, I think he was a little bit, you know, kind of just tickled to see like, this is, you know, the first thing. This so, is oh, man, I, I listened yeah. to the hell out of that cassette. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. I really don't remember aside from the the Ray Parker Jr. song. I don't remember what else was on that cassette. I, sh- I should go on eBay and find a copy just for nostalgia's sake. So cassettes cassettes and music have been on my mind this week. I don't know if you all saw, uh, but it was in the news this past week. On March 6th, Lou Ottens died uh, at his home in the Netherlands. Uh, uh, at- yeah. 
very, very ripe age of 94. Good, good for him. Lou Ottens was the head of the product development team uh, at the Philips Corporation in the 1960s. And he and his team developed the cassette tape. The, what we know as the just the cassette tape, which that was like a Philips company. Yeah. Yeah, thing? that's right. That was their oh. that was their thing. And Phillips, man, I mean, they his his same team, by the way, you know, a couple decades later went on to pioneer and develop the the, the compact disc. That's right. Yeah. Also, yeah, at the forefront of a lot of musical technology there. Yeah. I, I didn't know the man's name until just this last week, but tributes pouring in around the world from, you know, DJs and record collectors and just DIY musicologists and just everybody. I mean, is like without this man, we wouldn't have this awesome, awesome format that really, even though it was technically piracy it really opened up a huge avenue for music sharing i mean oh like right. mixtapes yeah. oh, generations it was yeah. yeah and that it was recordable yeah recordable generations of us i mean i, I don't know if kids today except maybe as like a, a, a funky retro thing you know have any experience you know playing around with them but there was a, a real long period there where I mean, just the hours we would all devote to making those mixtapes and getting the timing right and copying Recording off the CD and all that. It was great. Radio. Oh, man. Yes, that's right. yeah, radio. Some songs from me, I hear the DJ talking. Yes. Like before it happens, like in my mind when the song plays, I'm like, and we're back. You know, and then the song, because I listened to it a million times, just that thing I recorded off the radio. <laughs> I put together a quiz for you all about music collecting. This, in terms of <clears throat> dollar spent. This has definitely been my hobby that I have uh, put the most interest in over this pandemic. I've, I've spent a lot of time on uh, discogs.com. Yeah. Uh, discogs, short for discographies. It, it's it, in the world of music collecting. I mean, it's you don't go to eBay, you go to discogs to find the, the albums you, you want to mm-hmm. sell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Bye. So with that in mind, I have a quiz for you about physical media. You know, as crazy as it sounds in 2021. So about collecting and maybe we'll, maybe we'll all learn a little something along the way. October 1st, 1982 is a special day in music history. That was the day the first consumer CD player went on sale. Yeah. October 1st, 1982. Now, of course you have to have something to play on the CD player when you buy it. So Tell me, I want you to tell me an album by what singer songwriter is often credited as the first CD released? I think I know, but I know Chris knows for sure. Chris. Uh, I, I, I feel 100% of this. Billy Joel. Yeah. Chris has it. That is, is it Billy. Is it Billy Joel's 42nd Street? Oh, Chris, is... you're so close. You're, you're oh, only no. 41st you're only Street. Street. 41st oh, Street. It is a 52nd Street. Yes. Ten streets. This is a good lesson in pub quiz answering, right? We talk a lot about our meta strategies, okay? So now the real answer to this is it's a little more complicated than that. So that's why I was very careful in how I worded it as often credited you uh, 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 uh. So now, you know, I mean, much like launching a video game system, it would be kind of frustrating to launch a system with only one thing that you can play on it, right? So mm-hmm. there were, in fact, uh, about 50 CDs released on launch day, if you will, along with the first commercially available CD player uh, in Tokyo, in Japan. Um, uh, 52nd Street was among them. It was, it was one of Billy Joel's biggest hits. I mean, had won Grammy for Album of the Year in 1980. It wasn't a new release. It had been out on, you know, vinyl. Oh. 
that. It, though, has the distinction of having the first catalog number in the sequence of discs released. So uh, that's why it sort of gets uh, bestowed with the honor of being considered the first CD released. Yeah, so is it, is it because like it has a number? Order? It starts with the number. <laughs> That's a great question, right? Is it because it's a number? Right. Uh, I don't. Have, he's B. I don't have the full list of fifty uh, discs, so I can't answer that definitively. But yeah, so if you get a question in pub quiz, they're looking for Billy Joel, Fifty Second Street, Street. Okay. not Broadway Sensation, Forty Second Street. Which I <laughs> yes, <laughs> that's what it is. That's huh? the confusion. In two thousand nine. In June twenty eighteen, a copy of the nineteen eighty seven record. The Black Album, not Spinal Tap for you Spinal Tap fans, The Black Album recorded what was at the time the highest sale price ever in the Discogs marketplace, fetching $27,500. What Midwestern artist released this album? Midwestern artist? Mm. Karen. Jay-Z. He's from New York, though. (laughs) (laughs) The Black Album. I mean, it's... it's... (laughs) Chris. Johnny Cash? Johnny Cash, no, no, no. Uh, 1987. Maybe I'll give you another hint here. Oh, 1987. The uh, the pre-release title of this album was called The Funk Bible. Huh. The Funk Bible. Chris. George Clinton? I am looking for Prince. Prince! Prince! Karen, I think Karen was about to reach for the buzzer. Prince, Midwest. Uh, think about this album. Well, okay, well, why is it so expensive? You know, it's, there's, Prince has a lot of albums out. So this one was actually it was scheduled for release in 1987. It it was very much like the the Spinal Tap joke. It was a black album, all black. It was in the pipeline. Copies were printed. It was ready to go. And Prince himself <laughs> said, "Nope, I don't want to release this album." He Depending on the report, he had a, a religious vision. He had uh, an insight. Uh, he decided he did not want to release this album. That it was that it was evil. So a week before it was supposed to come out, he said, "Nope, it's with it's withdrawn. Uh, I don't want it." So some copies, of course, because they'd already gone to press in the in the factories. You know, oh. got out the, the the record label did release the album sort of officially in uh, 1994. Eventually, so there are legitimate copies. But that that was the at the time the highest copy. All right, we'll stay in the Discogs marketplace here. On February 22nd of this year, total collector sales for this musical act surged more than 3,700%. Who and why? Wait, wait, say it again, say it again. On February 22nd of this year. Oh, okay. Over a month ago. Total collector sales for this act surged more than 3,700%. Who and why? Karen, decisive. I'm not letting Chris have this. <laughs> oh. Is that Fleetwood Mac? Oh, no, it is not Fleetwood oh. Mac. That's a good guess. February 22nd so. of this year is only a few days ago yeah. as we're recording yeah, this. Like uh, a couple weeks uh, ago. What? It is a duo. Happened. I'll give you a hint. It's a duo. Dana. Wham? Oh, no, no, no. Okay. <laughs> Captain and Tennille? They are a French. <laughs> Nelson? Is it They're Nelson? French Nelson. duo. Karen. Daft Punk. It is. Oh, Daft oh right. Because they're breaking up. Because they announced their retirement. Not even overnight, just within a few hours. In addition to the bump of sales and physical copies of their stuff. Yeah, Billboard reported uh, uh, over six and a half million streams of Daft Punk songs just on that day alone, which wow. was like a, a more than a 200% increase over the day before. Mm. All right. We'll close out with this one. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to apologize in advance for this one. 
<laughs> okay. How many grooves are there on one side of an average LP? I don't even know what the baseline is. Chris. One. That's right. There is oh, one. Oh, it goes on around. Of an I have played, I've played enough Professor Layton games to know a <laughs> trick math question when I hear one. That's right. Yeah. I will try and give you guys something really, uh, a real question to bite into here. So, okay. Yes, there is one groove on on, the, on a record. Womp womp. Um, <laughs> I'd like to guess how long. Oh. I'll give you something to guess here. Under a mile. You know, don't go crazy here. Under a mile. How Under long a mile. Feet? Well, you know, I'm That's giving a, a vast upper bound here. So you don't guess 10,000 feet. 200 meters. 200 meters, Karen says. I don't know. I thought he said in feet, Karen. You got to do your own conversion. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll convert yeah. it. Is this a 33 or a 45? Uh, we'll say we'll say a, a 12 inch LP 33. Okay. It's 656 feet. Karen, that seems long. 56 feet. That seems really long. Chris says 1,000 feet. Let's say 330 feet. The the best estimate I was able to find was about fifteen hundred feet. So uh, yeah, Chris, Chris closest, but still off by yeah fifty percent. Still off, still yeah. off. <laughs> That's like a loop around the track. Yeah, I like thinking about that. Yeah, it's like if you run the fifteen hundred, you know, or you know, on the fifteen hundred, if you run the, the hundred meter, you got to do that several times. All right, well, that was just a, a little sampling of some good uh, CD LP cassette collecting trivia for you all there. All right. And that's our show. Thank you guys for joining me. And thank you guys, listeners, for listening in. Hope you learned a lot of stuff about video game collecting, craft terms, uh, music, media, and also fake Greek words. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Audible, and on all podcast apps and on our website, goodjobbrain.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that because you're already listening to a podcast.